Welcome to Choosing Leadership and this is another episode of the Visionary Voices series with your host Sumit Gupta. In this dynamic new series of episodes I am bringing you thought provoking conversations with visionary leaders who have reshaped industries, challenged norms and carved their own paths to success. In a world where leadership is a blend of art and science, where the ability to navigate uncertainty is as important as fostering innovation, we are diving headfirst into the minds of those who have mastered this craft. Join us as we discover the nuances of decision making and unveil the uncharted territories of visionary leadership. Get ready to choose leadership not just as a role but as a conscious journey of growth, transformation and influence. In the interview, Eric, best-selling author of Profit with Presence, discusses his journey from corporate success to mindfulness. After struggling with unhappiness despite professional achievements, he discovered yoga and mindfulness. He emphasizes the challenge of integrating mindfulness into a success-driven world. Eric believes that cultivating mindfulness is crucial for productivity and leadership. He advocates starting small with practices like breath awareness, gratitude and mindful listening. He encourages leaders to focus on the process, detach from outcomes and to take responsibility while embracing a sense of knowing beyond strategic thinking. Through his non-profit work and coaching, Eric aims to share the transformative power of mindfulness and presence in both personal and professional realms. Hi Eric and welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast. Good morning. Thank you for having me this morning. It's a pleasure to have you here. To begin with, can you start by giving our listeners a quick background and bio of who you are and what do you do? Yeah, sure. I'm someone who's been in business for about 40 years. My primarily business emphasis has been real estate. Real estate, I'm a real estate developer. Shopping centers, office buildings, those kind of things. I also taught at the university. I have a PhD in economics. I taught at Colorado State University here in Fort Collins, Colorado for about 20 years in the business school. And about five years ago, I launched a nonprofit called Living in the Gap, and we run mindful leadership programs for executives in uh, Loveland, Colorado base. And that's what I've been doing. And then this the last couple of years, I've been working on a book called Profit with Presence, The 12 Pillars of Mindful Leadership, which was published in March of this year. It's going really well. Thank you. And uh, can you share a bit about your own journey as a leader? How did you become more yeah. mindful? How did that transformation came through? Yes, I was successful early in work. I was an executive. I was sitting in a CEO of a North American division of an Australian company in my 20s. And uh, I traveled all the time. I rise in the corporate ladder, but I wasn't healthy. I wasn't happy. I was really miserable inside. Outside, I had all the designations of corporate success, but on the inside, I was miserable. So I made some big changes and I stumbled on yoga in my early 30s. And I feel like I'd become disassociated with my body. And I'm an athlete. I was a high school all-conference athlete and was a runner and I stopped running anyway. I started running again. I lost some weight. I decided to go back to get a PhD in economics. I was looking for more purpose in my life. So I wanted to teach. And I stumbled on yoga, which was a, my first entry into mindfulness. And then a couple of years later, I was working through my PhD program and also was always worked, developed and consulted and those kind of things, those things on the side. My oldest brother was meditating. He was about 10 years old. He was a poet. My dad was a football coach. 
and they were like oil and water. And I watched my brother meditate and come back to the family and then come get closer to my dad. And my dad didn't change. He was in his 70s. He wasn't going to change. And I just saw my brother open up and him open up and I got my family back. And he said, do you want to try it? So I said, sure, I'll try it. And I had instant results with it. And for years, I was a closet meditator. It didn't come out. I didn't talk about it. I just did my own practice. And over the years, it just made a tremendous difference for me in at work, at home, in sports. It just made a really big difference to me. And then people started noticing a difference in me over time. And we brought it into the company. We started with a little seed group. The company, then the management committee got together and changed the vision statement to mindfully creating community. We brought eight week mindful-based stress reduction into the company and did those that. And then I launched my nonprofit after that. So I've just seen what a difference it makes for people, mostly me. So yeah. my mission is just to share that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think there's something wonderful that you started with that I was successful, but not happy. And you found yoga, like incidentally. How do you bring it in a world which is still driven very much by success, right? And people are so busy or so occupied yeah. in chasing success and anything about mindfulness feels like a distraction because it talks about slowing down or not focusing on what we yeah. have been usually taught to focus on in business. So how do you find it when you now work with companies or work with leaders? How do you approach this topic and especially this notion of success? Yeah, it's far from easy. It's cultural, it's countercultural, as you point out. And especially, I think, given the fears from the pandemic and the reset, even though it's needed more than ever because of the stress and those kind of things created, the economy's down a little bit and people get more fearful of, oh, no, I got to work harder. I got to do this. And uh, so, first of all, it's got to start with ourselves. I found that we're the only person that we can really change. And then it's a one person at a time discussion and finding those people that are open. And I find the people that are most open to it and get the most of it are the ones that are successful outwardly. And they just need a little mindset shift and a little routine that gives them a different mindset. And it really changes everything for them. So it's, I wish it was easier because I, I see the tools and mindfulness as being one of the antidotes to what's going on in the world. Or not listening to people, not talking, those kind of those things which are really bad for business. Forget the political, geopolitical thing. It's just trying to run a business in these times is very hard as well. So I, I think that there's a lot of keys in it to it. And I wish it was easier. I'm not a politician. I'm a business guy. So my I'm on podcasts. I wrote a book. I'm really putting every everything I can think of on the field to bring this to the forefront because I think it's really important in these times. Yeah. And what would be your message to somebody who is like hungry for success or going fast and feels like they have no time and energy for all of this? If you were to have to summarize or try to get them to see some value in this, what would be your message yeah. to them? It's a lot easier than you think. It's simple. It doesn't take a lot of time. It can be really private. We start people with two minutes a day. And if there was one thing you wanted to do, just of anything else, it'd be to practice gratitude, start being grateful for what you have, an immediate mindset shift. So I would start small and try to be as consistent as you can be. And as you become 
Because mindfulness is a mouthful. There's a lot of long definitions. I boil it down to focus. Can I fill my mind with what I choose to focus on in this moment? When I'm at work, that's at work. The meeting that I'm in, the client that I'm with, the whatnot. And then I work hard, and it's not easy, but to turn that off and to focus on my family when I'm home at night. Or if I'm doing some hobby, to focus on that, because that's the key to production, productivity, to is focus. We're so distracted. Well, people are so busy, but are they really accomplishing everything they want to be accomplishing? I find that in distraction, we've lost focus. So to bring focus back is everything to do with business. Yeah. Turning our phone off at a meeting rather than doing three things at once to say, no, for the next hour, we're going to do that. We're going to talk about financials. That's what we're going to do. Then I'm going to go and do the next thing. Yeah. And is this what you talk about in the first chapter of your book where you say presence is your primary purpose? Yeah. Just to know that we're human and to be able to focus and not just be run by that machine of our mind but to actually run it and use it as a tool for ourselves, not like that it's running the show, but it's one thing. But my awareness is more primary than mm -hmm. the thoughts that come up. Yeah. Coming back to business, and you also mentioned that you started what you're doing now as a nonprofit. Right? So can you share why did you choose the nonprofit route and why did you start this itself as a company, as a business? Yeah, it was mostly because I have been plenty successful in my life and I didn't do it to make money. I've got better ways, easier ways to make money, if that's it. And just as a statement, is that it's I'm here to deliver a message to the business community, not to just profit off it, but to deliver a message that my message is that you don't have to just practice mindfulness early in the morning and late at night when you're exhausted, that Focus can be practiced all day long, and it's a really great business strategy to be more mindful, to be more focused. That's all. I didn't and still don't have an intention of making a lot of money at this. I still love real estate. I'm still active in real estate, and that provides for me what I need. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. As we speak about this, what are some of the things that people can do in maybe one minute, two minutes, five minutes during the day? to cultivate or to carry on that state of mindfulness. Yeah. yeah. You can start with just noticing your breath, noticing your breathing. That brings us presence. I mentioned gratitude. Think of something, there'd be a number of ways you could practice gratitude. One is to start a gratitude journal, three gratitudes a day, set things that you're grateful for. You could at your dinner table, just go around with the kids and whatnot. What was one thing you're grateful for in your day? Here's what I found. I'm grateful for this. Or maybe send a handwritten thank you note to somebody that did somebody nice to you. Just practice gratitude. One of the great ways, I think, is a little mindful walk during your lunch or in the morning. I took one this morning before I came in. But leave your phone behind. Go start short, 10, 15 minutes, and leave your phone behind and just go and notice the wind and the trees blowing. Those kind of, that, rather than being on the phone, which would, defe would defeat that. But take little pockets of time where we're just aware of it. And then I would say, start with the intention of it. Of Okay, when we have a meeting, I'm just going to focus on what the meeting's about. I'm going to ask that people, if they're on their iPads, their computers, their phones, 
stop that for this period of time. If they need to be doing something, go do that. Let's just meet on the topic right now. And the other would be listening. Listening without adding anything, without judging, and just deep listening, active listening of who's saying something to us. It's the greatest gift we can give somebody, and it's totally mindful. And it's not easy. Yeah. Particularly with those closest to us, because we already know what they're going to say. And <laughs> we just our mind shuts off. So pick little yeah. things, pick a couple of those things, and just start with the intention of it. Maybe also pick up a mindful book and just read. We recommend reading 10 pages a day. But if you're not reading, start with three or four pages. Mm-hmm. Build up the 10 pages a day of something that is putting that in your mind of, I'm going to focus today. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned non-judgment, and this is also one of the pillars in your 12 pillars. So can you share a bit more about that, especially in the business world where there's a lot of focus on problem solving or fixing solutions, sometimes criticism or or judgment is accepted as a way to progress or to get better. So can you elaborate a bit on that? How can people improve, continue to learn, but without being judgmental? Judging is labeling things. And when we label something, we don't consider. So first of all, it's very efficient and very fast. And we need to do it sometimes. Like we're in a rush. We need to just make these judgments and it protects us. And But it also limits us because it closes our mind to consider and evaluate the whole thing because we already know about it. Mm. So if we can set the label aside and just consider what somebody's saying, then it's a deeper level and it's more mindful. If we're judging it, it means we already know. Everything that we know about that comes underneath that label. So the first thing is just start to be aware of how much we do it. And then pick some spots where it's a process. Pick some spots where I'm not. I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to talk with this person and really listen to what they have to say and consider what they have to say. For a leader, I think it's really critical when we start listening. I think it's almost impossible to listen when we judge because we go into I know. But really listening to the people that we work with is so much rich information that they may be trying to tell us things that could really help our business. Or kids, man, that's all. Parenting is just all about listening. If you can just listen. Or when you go home at night, to your spouse, your husband, your wife, or your partner, to start listening to them. That's a real practice because we're so busy with our day and so tied up when we walk in. So all those things are about listening is the, is the opposite of judgment. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In one of your pillars, you also talk about letting life flow through you. And normally we are in that rush to use our willpower, to force ourselves, to force others to force a result or force a situation. So can you elaborate on that? What does it even mean to let life flow through you? A lot of people feel like acceptance means that we're giving up. Something Carl Rogers, a famous psychologist, says, the curious paradox is that when I accept things, when I accept myself, then I can change. And acceptance is in the same camp of awareness. Doesn't mean I don't want to change it. It just means I acknowledge what is. I find that we spend a lot of ourselves time resisting things that we can't do anything about. Actions that come up, events that come up, we get so tied up in them, we resist them. If we accept them, then we can do more with them. 
and we're not resisting and everything is Michael Singer in a book, Untethered Soul talks about thorns. Everything comes in and it's personal, hits me. Most things aren't personal. People, we're so worried about ourselves. We know we're not usually out trying to get somebody else. But we take those actions as personal. So it's a matter of not taking it personal, accepting what the situation is, and let the pandemic, the tsunami, just take the worst thing. It's like the weather is, oh my God, it's raining again today. Like it's a personal affront that it's raining when I'm on my golf day. It's just raining. You know, find something to do in the rain or learn to like to play golf in the rain or whatever it is. But letting life flow through me is to stop resisting things that I can't do anything about. If I can do something about it, do it. But there's so many things. And also, I think the only one I can really change is me. That's, I can change myself and then my perception of the world changes. But I spend a lot of time trying to, I come up with actions that are my anger, my resistance, my words is trying to change somebody. And usually it's not very effective. And it has a bigger impact on ourselves than it does on the others. So letting life flow through me is accepting it. Accepting life circumstances, accepting the diseases and the poverty and the, not that I don't, I want to do something about all those things. If I can, I do. And if I can, accept it and move on. Yeah. Yeah. And let's, let me ask you something very practical, right? So now you are not just living this, but you're also teaching, you're also helping others leaders get better at this. And when you are in a workshop, there is a promise of, of an outcome. There is something which you have promised or which the other person is there to see. And yet when you face their resistance, because uh, they are coming from a different world, they are coming yeah. from a habit, right? mm -hmm. they face resistance and you're trying to show them something new. How do you deal with that resistance for yourself? How do you allow life to flow through you when you're delivering something which you have promised, but you're facing resistance from the other person? You accept that. You accept that resistance is a part of life. It's a part of most people's lives. And don't, I don't want to resist their resistance. What you resist persists. So if I can be a softer space, an open space for their resistance, a lot of times it'll subside. And the other thing is, as a coach, you're just putting a mirror up to somebody and saying, you occur to me like you're resisting. What are you resisting? Is there something there that you're not willing to accept? Because once you accept, things start changing. Yeah. But if I'm resisting it, it boy, it just gets that loggerhead. So mm. I don't want to resist somebody else that is that I'm hoping to. I can't change anybody. I can give them the environment. I can give them the information and the environment and then see what happens with them. But I can't change anybody. Mm. So I don't try to. And how does that balance with uh, being responsible for results, right? Because as business leaders, we are responsible yeah. for a lot of outcomes. So how do you let go of that resistance, which we feel yet continue to, let's say, take some bold actions or continue to be innovative and actually be responsible for an outcome? Yeah. Let's just stop blaming, stop pointing, having excuses and blaming others and whatnot, and just being responsible. It's taking ownership for the results even doesn't mean that it was your fault or whether it's good or bad. We're not, it's just saying I'm causing the matter of having this happen. And I'm not blaming the stock market. I'm not blaming the interest rates. I'm not all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, no, here's where we are. Those are all factors that I accept and I'm moving forward. 
we stop putting out on everybody else that it's not happening because my sales team is not motivated, because my suppliers can't get stuff to me, whatever. We just say, no, I've got to find a way. I'm causing the matter. All those things happen, they're life, but being responsible means I'm the one that's responsible to get this over the goal line. No matter what, who comes up and tries to tackle me, I'm responsible for getting over the goal line. And that's the difference to me. There are things when I, but if I accept them, if I can't change it, or if I can change it, I change it. And if I can't, I need to accept it and move on and make the best of that and come up with a result. That's my job as a leader, to have results. Not yeah. excuses, my, why it didn't happen. My job is to make it happen, to cause it to happen. Yeah, yeah. And what I'm listening to is like responsibility, but with freedom, without blame or without seeing it yeah. as a burden, which allows you to be free with responsibility rather than be heavy with responsibility. And I think a key aspect of that, in which you also shared in your book, was to detach from deserves, yet be very committed yeah. to yeah. showing up and taking action. So can you share how do you do that? Like how do yeah. you take action, but irrespective of success or failure, you maintain a level of detachment. I'll give you an example in my real estate business. I run a number of the operating businesses, two smaller ones, but I look at, look at results. I look at cash every week. I look at financial statements from entities every month, every quarter, we have a strategic meeting on every asset of what we're going to do, primarily real estate assets, but there are some other, what we're going to do that quarter. So during those meetings, I look at the results and we come up with, okay, here's the cash we're going to move around this week. You got to look at cash. You'll be out of business. <laughs> here's the financial statements. Here's where the assets and liabilities don't line up. Here's what we got to do with that. Boom. Here's the strategic plan. These tenants need to move. This renovation needs to happen or this manager needs to go. Whatever it is on that strategic move. So I set into place what's going to happen for that next period. And then I go to work just being present with the team. When I'm with a subordinate or a partner or a client, I want to be with them. I can't be with them in the result at the same time. I can't. We think we can be in two places at once, but we really can't. We can have a little bit of focus, especially one is broad and one is narrow. We can do a little bit in my experience in that world, but mostly our job is to, in between, focus on what I'm doing at the moment. If I'm constantly in the end result, then I can't be there in the meeting. I can't be there with the client. I can't, if I'm always there wanting to, if I'm driving to California, all I can think about is California. I'm not going to see Kansas, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona on my way. I'm just going to be in California. So it's detaching from results does not mean I don't care about them. It just means I have to, I'm in charge of the process, what I put into things. The results, I don't have control of how it ends up in the end. And my experience is if I'm in the process, the chances of my actually achieving the results is tenfold if I can go in the process. And I, so I pick regular times when I look at results and I make decisions about results. That's what I'm being present to at that moment. I have dedicated meetings with that. The other times I'm working on whatever I'm doing and whatever the strategic plan was, I'm implementing it. I'm implementing the plan and giving it a chance to work. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. I think what I'm listening is it's a paradox, right? So you have to think about results, 
And because of the results, you might choose to have a meeting. But once you are in the meeting, what you said is so powerful. If you are with the results, you cannot be with the person in front of you. And you might think that you're doing that for the result. But the paradox is that will make your result less likely because you're not even there. And that will make whatever you're doing less effective. And the other thing is it will come up. It's it, that thought of the result will come up. And what my job is, and this is what happens when we practice a meditation practice, when that thought comes is, uh, my job is just let it go and go back to the meeting. It comes up and I go, not now, let it go. Right now I'm focused. Right now I'm focused. Right now I'm focused. It's training. It's like training a puppy. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back constantly and training my focus. Mm-hmm. I want to focus on this. When the result comes up, not now, boom. Yeah, come back to it because it won't be instantaneous. It isn't this, oh, I'll make a decision. I'm not going to think about results anymore. It's a practice. And yeah. it comes up and I let it go and I come back to the present moment. Yeah. And a big problem which, which I see in organizations is that people are talking about the numbers or the results, but they're not connected to it. They're not engaged with it. And I think that's where purpose or some kind of meaning comes in. So can you share how do you set those milestones? How do you choose when to go bigger, when to go smaller, how do you break it into milestones along the way? How do you make sure that your results are actually purposeful? The first thing is that profit is not a purpose. Many of my book is Profit with Presence, is that, but, but the profit isn't the purpose. Profit's the result of a purpose-driven organization <laughs> that's actually meeting the need of somebody and it comes up with a profit. And its profits are totally necessary. We won't be here, but that's the result. Where am I that I can be in alignment and be present with doing what I'm doing and feel like I'm doing something that's in alignment with myself, what my skill set is, what I believe in, what I want to be doing, and is also something that is meeting a demand such that people will pay for it. Boom, I get a profit as a result. I don't know particularly for anybody else, how you chunk it out like that, where you go big, where you go small. Some, and it depends on your age and your risk preferences and all those things. Some people, they set the, go for the moon, do this. Other people are in our practice, as far as instituting mindfulness practice, we talk about something called the slight edge, or I call them slow boils in my book, which are taking little tiny positive things over a long period of time to make dramatic results. That's normally what I would prescribe. Find little things. It's practically my flu or in a business that little tiny things over a long period of time that keep growing and take a big result. Sometimes you'll know when you get some momentum going up, it's time to take a big risk. And I think some of the key to that is being in touch with yourself and your, your own presence to know just, you just have a sense. It's not like always just the thought. Of because that can just be ego, right? Oh, now's the time. I don't want to take this by this company. Or I think it's more, I have the sense in my, I call it my soul. Somebody else call it something else. But for me, it's that, that this is in alignment. This is the time. And then I back it up with the numbers. I have to have the sense and the numbers because I know numbers can be put together that don't make sense to me. And if they don't make sense to me, I don't go. I have to have. Something I'm in alignment with, I have a feeling about, and the numbers match up. I have to have both. And when I have both those things, I call it a green light special. And I go. But I think that's going to be different for everybody, depending on their own psyche 
their own financial status, what risks they're willing to take, what resources they have, yeah. what experience they have. But yeah. somewhere in there, I think most big things are come from a place that's not just thought and not just a financial statement. It's a place in there where you just have a knowing that this is going to go. But for me, I have to have it. Daniel Kenneman has a book called Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. And it's like that. It's the thinking fast is I have this got this good. The thinking slow is okay, but I still, I want the numbers. <laughs> Give me the numbers that back it up. When I have those two, I get a lot of confidence, you know, that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And especially what you mentioned about sensing something. Can you speak a bit more on that? Because we're living in a world which is very heavily influenced by strategic thinking or being smart or focus yeah. on being intelligent. So can you speak on other forms of intelligence and especially for leadership what is the relevance of all of these something that we've lost which means my gut instinct what's my sense whether it's people or a business thing or anything i'm doing i have a sense i've got and i think mindfulness is touching tapping into that it's mm -hmm. tapping into what's my sense about that what's my because everything that's happened in our life is recorded in us we're not all able to metaconsciously recall it all, but everything that's happened to us is in us. We've seen and heard and sensed all the world since now, and it's all in there. But can we tap in and feel what that is? Because tapping into our gut is feeling all the things I remember and the things I don't. All my life's experiences, all the knowledge I got at the schools, all the input I've taken, all the everything I've done is in there. But do I have a sense where I can tap into it and feel it and just have an instinct and the confidence to act on that? And some of the confidence to act on that is also saying, okay, but it's not just that. I also am going to tap into my brain and my thinking mind and go to the numbers. What is the numbers saying? Because I can fool yeah. myself too. I'm not, I've had gut instincts about people and about business that have been wrong. Even, and even when I've been, and the other part of, I think, confidence and touching in my gut is saying, okay, I made a mistake. I'm going to cut it. I'm going to take the loss. I'm going to move on. I, I think that's one of the biggest keys to successful business is being able to also recognize when you've made a mistake and that you've learned something from everything. Some of the best businesses I've had have come from mistakes. We've lost money on something. I've learned something. I've taken it to the next thing. But being able to somewhere draw that line, and I think that's a confidence too. Not, I'm not going to be embarrassed about it. I'm just going to cut and I'm going to make a change. Yeah. Yeah. And admitting mistakes is something which is very hard in organizations because either it is seen as weakness or people are punished, right? There's a monetary bonus or sometimes yeah. even jobs are taken away because they admit to a weakness. What change do you think that is required in the organizations of today so that we can allow more of listening to our gut, listening to our body and also allow expression of that, which is, which could include saying I made a mistake and that's okay. All of it. Purpose. I find leaders are born of purpose. When you have a purpose that guides you, you're willing to make decisions and not just be guided about what somebody else thinks of you. You're willing to go against the grain. And that gives you confidence having that. If your purpose is just to look good, not make a mistake, then you're in that world of not being able to make the decisions that are really needed in the business. Because we all make mistakes. That's just part of it. If you don't want to make any mistakes, don't do anything. But, and I would say the other reason I've been successful is I usually act pretty fast. When I see something and I have an instinct on something, I go. 
I'm a first mover with things. Yeah. That means also sometimes I have pain. I've got mud on my face. I've made a mistake. So also I have to go first mover and recognize it and go, you know what? I screwed up. Or I had all the best knowledge and I did it, but it's just not going to work. I have to accept mm. that. And then say, okay, let's move on. I'm going to take that. But if I'm just worried about looking good, not making mistakes in that camp, then I'll go on and on with a mistake until I got someone to blame it on. <laughs> that's not good business. Good business is going, no, that's it. And a good leader is, if they're going to fire me because of that, okay, I was looking for a job when I found this one. Yeah. My dad had a saying, he said, there's always room at the top. If you're having trouble finding work, it's because you're setting your sights too low. They're hmm. turning over every day. Leadership is being the one that's willing to do that to me. The will, it's not the one that just wants to look good and get the credit. It's the one that's willing to make the tough decisions and say, this is where we're going. Or we made a mistake. Taking all the information, getting input, having everybody have a say. But in the end, it's saying, we made a mistake. We're, we got to cut. We got to go. Yeah, yeah. And purpose can be that North Star or that guiding light during those difficult periods that can guide you. So in, in the pillar two, right, you mentioned identify your purpose. Yeah. Can you speak a bit on that? Is purpose something which is identified sense or is it something you get in a room and create? Because I see a lot well, of... Well, yeah. I think there's stages to it. First of all, one of the things that I say in the book that I believe is the purpose of business can't be that far off from the purpose in life. What's my purpose in life? And hopefully I have some alignment with the purpose in my business. Because mm -hmm. the purpose in my business is just to make money. I'm spending over a third of my day, over half of my waking day, and it's my prime time, just trying to get so that I can do something while I get done with it. So I find, I think you're wasting a good majority of your life in your prime time if you don't align your purpose with your business. So I think one is look at what the purpose of our life is and hopefully find a business in which we have some of that. Also, so I think part of that is just waking up and becoming conscious and becoming present is a major purpose in life. It's just recognizing I'm not here just to do the next thing and to do what everybody else is doing, but to find out why I'm here, what I'm doing, be awake. And then from there, I find deeper purposes come in. Then I find what should I be doing? What am I really good at? And what do I love to do? Finding those things because sometimes I'm good at something. And I, you know, I don't like it, or sometimes I love something and I'm not that good at, it, but I've got to find, Ken Robinson calls it the element. I got to find those things where those two things come together and find a purpose, teaching, sharing with others, providing homes for people or and eradicating poverty or, you know, energy. What it doesn't, I don't, I think it's different for everybody. In that, what they find in business, but at the heart of it is what can I be doing and I can be present when I'm doing it, which means I'm in alignment and I enjoy it and I'm in my zone. Most people have something where they are in their zone or they're present. For me, it's snow skiing. For my wife, it's art. For somebody else, it's public speaking. For someone else, it's writing or reading. There's different ones, but I try to find out what that is and I want that at work. Yeah, I want to have that feeling of flow and presence at work, which means I also need to have some alignment that I believe in what I'm doing, that I'm pretty good at it, and I enjoy mm -hmm. it so yeah. that I don't feel when I'm there that I'm risk doing it to be somewhere else when I'm done. 
that I'm working because I love to work. I love the connection with people. I love the being productive. I love producing something. I like communicating. Those kind of things. How can I get that and not feel like I'm constantly just at work to be done at work, just to be home? Because then we're never anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that makes sense. That makes total sense. So that leads me to a question, which I often get from many of my clients as well, because I speak about presence and purpose a lot. And many times people see that you have to be presence 24 by seven. And I often say that like the goal is not to be always present, but to come back to presence when you use it. So given your background and given your decades of practice, uh, can you share how does life look like to you? How do you deal with yeah. challenges? What throws you off balance? And then how do you come back to presence? Uh, my best days, I'm in and out of presence. You're right on. It isn't a 24-7 all the time. And the key is to noticing. The thing is, before we have some exposure to it and some practice with it, we don't even know when we're present or not. We can't distinguish when we're just totally in our head and our thought. And when we're So it's to have some experiences through... For me, yoga is helpful with that. Workshops can be helpful with that. Meditation can be helpful with that. What did I have some experiences of which I'm present? And then I have the experiences when I'm not present and I notice the difference. But there are times when I just have to go up and think about something. That's fine. That's what I'm doing at that time. But if I'm going to think about this, I want to get in a safe place. But I'm not driving and I just want to contemplate something. And it's starting to notice and it's just to keep coming back to it. And I would say one of the hardest things is with the people we know the best. Family are the people we work with the best. It's yeah. sometimes that's the hardest because it's not new. We know what they're going to say. It's routine. Boom. We just get on automatic. But your kids know when you're present. Believe me. And that if you want to be a good parent, be present. Just listen to them. They don't need you to fix everything, to know everything, the right thing to say. They just know when you're there or not. So there's a time to work on that. And then, but it's no different with an employee or a partner or a client. They know when you're there with them and when you're off a hundred miles off. You might not know, but they know. You know, when you're talking to somebody and they're not listening to you, you say the same thing over and over again and they don't hear you. I think it's a practice. And the more in it, the point is to get more and more. It's not to be, as you say, 20, 24 hours present. I don't think it's possible. We talk about enlightened beings, and I think there's different degrees of that. But I'm certainly not present all the time. I work towards it. I work towards being present as much as I can be. But you can ask my wife. She wouldn't say that I was present all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is the simplicity of it, right? Many times we make it too complicated that somebody is better at being present, right? But when you are in presence, there is no better or worse. There is no ahead or behind. Right. There is no like good or bad. You are just here. And if you are present, then that presence is as powerful or as deep as the presence of somebody who has been meditating for 50 years, yeah. right? So it's the same thing and it is accessible yeah. to anybody in any given moment. And I would give some thought to what you really love to do and when are you really present and just start paying attention to that and trying to grow that into other things. Like most people have something of sport or a hobby or something they did when they were a kid. And unfortunately, a lot of times that wasn't promoted or accepted. Like my wife with art as a kid, she's a beautiful artist, didn't really start till she was in her late forties when the kids got out. But 
It's a beautiful, but as a kid, that wasn't rewarded. You didn't say, oh, you're great at art. It was, no, you got to go make a living. You got to go do this. You got to there. What some people were really good at is a lot of times, or I find people in our program come back to music often. They were in music as in high school or as a kid, and they go away from it. And they found that was something I was really present during that, but I haven't found there. So there's an entryway. That's an entryway to being present, something you love to do. Find it. Yeah. And that's going to be different for all of us. And maybe you can't do that all day long. It doesn't pay the bills and whatnot. You can get that feeling. You do a little bit of it and you say, what would it take for me to have that feeling? And that's why I practice a morning routine. I want to have that feeling when I leave the house, when I come into work. I want to feel present. I want to be in the zone yeah. as much as I can be, but it's not going to be all the time. But can I notice when I'm not? When I'm agitated, yeah, I'm not present. When I'm angry, yeah. I'm not present. When I'm Absolutely. judging, I'm not present. Yeah. Though, can I just set that aside? And I have all those things and they're all useful at some times, but can I spend more and more time being present? Time in nature can be one of the, that's why I say a mindful walk too. Time in nature can be that. And we're divorced, so divorced from nature now, most of us in professional life. So some yeah. time in nature on a camping trip or a walk or whatever it is can be mm -hmm. access to it as well. Yeah. Perfect. So thank you, Eric, for everything that you've shared. Yeah. As we wrap this up, right, can you share your vision of a mindful corporation? And especially in the given age, right, where we are faced with so many challenges, and then there is a tendency to blame our corporations or the large businesses for many of our problems, starting from climate change to many times, even like even to mental health and stress problems. So yeah. what do you see as the future of, of corporations, of for large organizations? And before we end, for anybody who might be listening, what is the best way for them to engage with you or to find out what you're... Corporations can't be mindful. Corporations are corporations. The people in corporations can be mindful. So you need to have, you need, and it needs to start at the top. It's great if there's some people in the line or down the line that are mindful, that's great. But if you really want a mindful corporation, it starts at the top. Chief executive board management team, those guys, and the only one you can do to make a difference with is yourself. So first you just start with yourself and if the CEO is listening, it's you start being my, and it can be completely private for one. In fact, I espouse not sharing it until your practice is pretty sound and you're not going to get knocked off it just because someone, the world's still pretty skeptical about yeah. mindfulness and everything else. So give the practice yourself and then set an empowering vision. You know, at our LC real estate group management team got together and set mindfully creating community. That was a game changer. It was like everybody had permission to work with a nonprofit and to have some kind of practice and to do those kind of things. So if you have the, if you have the position to influence culture, start rewarding some mindful behavior with people and then take on some nonprofit work. I challenge you to, what are you doing in volunteer work yourself? What difference are you making? What are you doing with your family? And then what are you doing with the company? Is that we have a program that we call Coats and Boots mm. that provides coats and boots to anybody on free and reduced lunch in elementary school in Loveland. I think we're up to 13 schools. We may not have them all yet, but we're close. So just in the fall of each year, we have a partner of Shields in Loveland, also Jack Surplus, that get us things that cost. We put in some money, we raise some money. And we just go out and hand them out. And it's a company activity. It's mindful. It's mindful. That's why I think how capitalism works. So do the little things. 
first start with yourself and then do the little things and set some seeds and see what see what happens because it is i think if we're going to change the trajectory of the world it's going to be companies that do it it's going to be businesses operating with profit with presence yes we need to make money but yeah we need to keep the world in mind <laughs> it has to be a sustainable planet and sustainable families and sustainable employees as we go there's a bigger there's a bigger picture presence it isn't just work's got to become not just something that provides resources to do when we're outside of work. Because most of us, if you like work, you're working eight, 10, 12 hours a day. It's got to be accessible at work. It's got to be, we have to find a pathway for executives. So start small, few minutes, start with yourself, be private. And then maybe as you notice one or two others, you can share it with them. Thank you. That's beautiful. I love that uh, how you mentioned start with yourself because Every time like you're frustrated with somebody else, I think that's an opportunity to go deeper and to yeah. use that as a learning opportunity. That's so practical and also so valuable. Well, a real trap, especially for top executives, so smart. It's always, oh, this is great. I wish this team would do that. No, <laughs> you do <Yeah>. it. <laughs> we do it. The smartest people need it just like everybody did. No, you do it. And then maybe share it and maybe they'll do it. But if they're still mm -hmm. doing it, I'm not doing it. It's not going to do any good. Perfect. Perfect, Eric. Great. So as we end this, what is the best way for people to find you after this conversation? Yeah. Livinginthegap.org, spelled out, livinginthegap.org has all of our programs, resources. There's just a little, actually the six-part pod series that's free that's on there about the book, Profit with Presence. The other way is on Amazon or on our website, you can buy the book, Profit with Presence, The 12 Pillars of Mindful Leadership, and read it is, a, is another way to find out what we're up to. Perfect. Thank you, Eric, for everything that you shared. I will make sure to include these links in the show notes when the episode Thank is out. Thank you. And in the meantime, I wish you all the best for everything that you're doing and then for leading the way. Thank you very much. I appreciate being on today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Great. And that wraps up another inspiring episode of the Visionary Voices series on the Choosing Leadership podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation and find value in this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us reach more people and share these transformative insights with a wider audience. Remember, leadership is about continuous practice and not just about intellectual knowledge. And we love hearing from all of you. So feel free to reach out and share your thoughts, questions, and takeaways. Thank you for listening to Choosing Leadership. Always remember that you are enough, you're loved, and you matter. This is Sumit. And until the next time, keep choosing leadership.